0: All right, let's go to the book of Acts tonight. Um, After a long delay, uh, we're going to get back into our study of the uh, book of Acts with the transition going on. And Brother Tyler and I, um, Brother Tyler's added to the preaching uh, uh, rotation, so to speak. Uh, We were trying to figure out where to fit in, finish out the book of Acts. And so we'll be doing that on Wednesday nights. Um, Pastor Tyler is taking over the preaching responsibilities upstairs uh, for the youth for the time being. And uh, so Brother Mike is just wrapping up uh, the uh, First Steps class tonight. So he'll be back um, in here. He'll lead the music. Uh, Lord willing, we'll uh, continue on in our study of the book of Acts uh, tonight we're going to be in chapter 25, we're actually nearing the end of uh, the book of Acts and so we'll not be in it much longer, um, but we do have, it's, uh, it's almost to the place now where uh, at least for the next, uh, we have been for the last couple of chapters and we'll, we'll continue this way, uh, chapter 25, maybe chapter 26, uh, biting off big chunks of scripture Uh, Because a lot of it is um, narrative in nature uh, and telling a story. um, And so we'll be biting off big chunks. Although tonight, we're not going to read all of the chapter. And I'll explain that here in just a moment. But Let's begin reading in verse 1. Acts chapter 25 and verse 1. Now, when Festus was come into the province... After three days he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul and besought him and desired favor against him that he would send for him that Festus, the the governor would send for Paul uh, and ask him to come to Jerusalem. Now look at the end of verse 3, laying in wait to kill him. So in other words, their plan was this. We'll get Festus, the governor, to send Paul to Jerusalem and in transit we will ambush them and we'll kill Paul and we'll finally get rid of this pesky Paul guy. We're like done with him we're tired of messing with him Uh, this is like the third time they've tried to devise um, some kind of uh, plan to get rid of Paul Uh, but we know uh, that Paul must go to Rome Uh, we know that and he's going to get there and it's not going to be easy um, but God's going to get him there and so this this plan was foiled we don't know how Um, we don't know why Festus chose not to do what they asked him to do. Maybe it was just because he didn't want to. Maybe it was because he had found out about this plan. We really don't know. Um, But it didn't work out for him. Verse 4, but Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able. So he's talking now to those who had suggested this plan. He said, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, but if some of you who are able, uh, why don't you go down with me and accuse this man if, that's a big if, if there be any wickedness in him. Verse 6. And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down unto Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul to be brought. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem, so evidently some of them did come with Festus, and they stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he, Paul, answered for himself, here's what he said, Neither against the law of the Jews, neither against the temple, nor yet against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, willing to do the Jews a pleasure, answered Paul and said, Wilt thou go up to Jerusalem and there be judged of these things before me? Then said Paul, I don't think he was expecting this. Then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, where I ought to be judged. He was a Roman citizen. Where I ought to be judged. To the Jews have I done no wrong, as thou very well knowest. For if I be an offender or have committed anything worthy of death, I refuse not to die. In other words, listen, if if I've done something worthy of death, then let me die. I'm not, I'll take my licks. But if there be none of these things... Whereof these accuse me, no man may deliver me unto them. I appeal unto Caesar. Then Festus, verse 12, Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, Hast thou appealed unto Caesar? Unto Caesar thou shalt go. And the rest of this chapter Uh, really is just filled with details of the various legal maneuverings of the Jewish religious authorities. Uh, So we're going to stop right there. But I do want you to go back to verse 7. And when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many and grievous complaints against Paul. Look at this again. Which they could not prove. In the early morning hours of October the 4th, 1980, a young nursing student who was brutally murdered in the Chicago suburb of Oak Park, following the advice of well-meaning friends, a man by the name of, of Steve Linscott, who was a student at that time at Emmaus Bible College, Told police about a dream that he had had the night of the crime. Oak Park police later arrested him, interpreting his dream account as the roundabout confession of a psychopathic killer. Later, a jury found Lynn Scott guilty, and he was sentenced to 40 years in prison. There was just one problem. Lynn Scott was innocent. Only after time in prison and numerous legal appeals, a process that lasted 12 years, only after all of that was Lynn Scott free and vindicated. One can only imagine the challenges those years brought to Mr. Linscott as he was separated from his wife, he was separated from his children except for a a few brief visits along the way. No doubt there were probably times when he was wondering, well, if I wouldn't have said anything, I wouldn't have talked about that stupid dream, none of this would have happened, I just brought all of this upon myself. No doubt he was a believer, he was going to a Bible college and And we probably wondered at times, why is God allowing this to happen? Not to mention surviving prison violence. I mean, those were no doubt tough years. No doubt. And yet years of growth and growing awareness of the goodness of God. In Lynn Scott's words, he, he said this, I have come to realize that we cannot judge God's purposes, nor where He places us, nor why He chooses one path for our lives as opposed to another. The Bible itself is replete with accounts of divine action or inaction. That does not seem fair. That does not make sense. Except when viewed in light of God's perfect plan. Thousands of Egyptian children were massacred while a baby named Moses was spared. Jacob was a liar and a thief. And yet it was he, not his faithful brother Esau, who received the blessing of their father Isaac and of God. On one level, it makes no sense That God would allow his son to die for the sins of humankind. But God has a plan, a perfect plan. Lord's help, I want to preach to you tonight from this chapter under this title Life isn't fair, but God is faithful. Life isn't fair, but God is faithful. And in essence, I think that's what Mr. Linscott was saying. Life isn't always fair, but God is always faithful. As we look at this particular part of of Paul's life, and and I know it's been been a, a month or better since we've studied anything about the life of Paul, but as you look at this particular part of his life, up to this point, he has experienced... A lot of injustice. He has encountered a lot of of unfairness. If you go back to chapter 24, we read where Felix, who was the governor at that time, kept Paul in jail for two years in hopes of extracting a bribe. As a matter of fact, it says at the end of that chapter that he called Paul to him and had numerous conversations with Paul, all in hopes of, uh, of maybe Paul uh, trying to in- induce a bribe and saying, listen, I'll do this or I'll give you this if you just get me out of here. But it was all to no avail because Paul's level of integrity was far too high for that to happen. Here in chapter 25, we read again of how the Jews laid many grievous, or laid many and grievous complaints against Paul, but they couldn't prove any of them. They didn't have any proof. They were just leveling all of these charges and all of these accusations, but not one thread of evidence. Now, how, many would you, how many of you would agree with me tonight that that's not fair? I mean, you read about this section of Paul's life and, and, and the Bible screams unfair, unjust, not right. But at the same time, how many would agree tonight that life being unfair is just part of living in a fallen sinful world? Yeah, it is. So what do we do about it? How do we handle life when it's unfair and unjust in the situations that we have to face? Maybe at work, maybe at school, um, wherever, maybe church, I don't know. But when life just doesn't seem fair, when things just aren't right, how, how do we deal with that? How do we handle that? Well, the first thing I would suggest tonight is this, accept reality. Life is not fair. <laughs> and the sooner you and I embrace that truth, the better off we're going to be. Life just is not fair. Jesus himself said, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. And it doesn't seem fair that men would hate us just because we proclaim ourselves to be followers of Jesus Christ. Not fair. It's because life isn't fair. I think that that Paul exhorted uh, Timothy to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced tonight that Paul considered unfairness as part and parcel of the cost of following Jesus. Listen, nowhere in this book are we promised as believers, we're never promised an easy life. As a Matter of fact, Jesus was very upfront, as I've already said. You, you sign on with Jesus, there are going to be some battles. There are going to be some struggles. There are going to be some things along the way that are going to be hard. I don't believe Paul expected anything less from a lost and sin-filled world. But think about this tonight. What if God had been fair with us? If God had been fair, he would have struck dead Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul Paul knew that. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13, he wrote this, Of himself, who was a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy. Was it fair that Paul, a a blaspheming, dangerous persecutor, should receive mercy after all of the devastation and pain and sorrow that, that he had wreaked on the early church? You know his story. He was a persecutor of the church. The Bible says he wreaked havoc on believers. Hailing men and women are resting and pulling away from their homes and their families and their children. Men and women. Paul was standing there when they stoned Stephen. And so Paul admits that he was a that he was a bad, bad man. But he obtained mercy. Is that fair? Paul, who did all of those things, would obtain mercy? You and I, in 2019, we can easily sit back and say, well, yeah. But it wasn't your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, who were being dragged and burned at the stake. You remember when Paul got saved? We studied this early in the book of Acts. When Paul got saved and, and he made his way into the Jerusalem church, nobody wanted to have anything to do with him. They, they, they thought he was, was uh, they, they, they didn't believe that he had found the Lord, or the Lord had found him, that he was a different man. And uh, they just weren't convinced of that. They were convinced that he was coming in to spy on them and that he was going to wreak more havoc. Let me ask you this tonight is it fair that Jesus had to die for our sins? Is that fair? He who do no sin, is it fair that the just would die for the unjust? That the sinless would die for the sinful? Is that fair? Listen, if Jesus operated solely on the basis of fairness, every one of us, Every one of us would be struck down, killed, and we'd have to spend eternity in hell. If God operated solely on fairness. It's not fair that he should die for our sin. But aren't you glad he did? Absolutely. So aren't you glad tonight that life's not always fair? At least in that sense. Aren't you glad tonight that God grants mercy and grace and forgiveness? Because we live in a fallen, sinful world, listen, there will, there will always be unfairness. I, mean, I wish I had a, 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 a better message for you tonight. But as long as we live on this earth, In this sinful place, there will always be unfairness. There will always be judges who judge unfairly. There will always be unfair, capricious bosses. There will always be parents who favor one child and unfairly treat another. And there will always be Fox News and CNN and MSNBC with their pundits who unfairly paint the positions of their opponents. And I could go on and on and on and on. There will always be injustice. But in, in, despite all the attempts to achieve a more fair and just society, listen, we're never going to eliminate it in this life. And here, here's my belief. The longer... That we are required to live on this earth. Christians can expect to be maligned and marginalized and scoffed at and criticized. And I honestly believe the day's coming that there'll be persecution. If the Lord doesn't come back and this world keeps drifting in the direction that it's drifting, If you're going to take a bold stand for Jesus Christ, there's going to be a price to pay. So folks, here's a reality check tonight. The real world in which we live is not a fair place. It's just not. And so we've got to accept that. And we've got to learn to deal with it in a healthy way. But not only must we accept that life is not always fair, we must also understand that in spite of life's unfairness, God is good and God is faithful. David cries in Psalm 86, 5, for thou, O Lord, art good. In Psalm 119 and verse 68, he wrote this, Thou art good and doest good. In spite of the unfairness of this world, to me anyway, it's good to know that our God never, listen, He never acts in a way that is inconsistent with His character. Never. Never. He is always just, and He is always good in everything that He does. He will never, never treat us wrongly or without regard to what is best for us. And we may not always be able to wrap our minds around that. But we know it's true because we know the Word of God is true. It was Paul himself who wrote to the Romans and said, And we know, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Paul said, we know that. And remember, again, Paul wrote that. The Paul that we're talking about tonight, who is in prison, though they have no no evidence, they have no proof, not one shred of, of fact. He's there because He's being treated unjustly and unfairly, yet he wrote with his own hand. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. One writer said this, this is why Paul was able to deal with the constant injustices and unfairness in his life. He expected these things because Jesus had warned they would come. So when he faced situations that were unjust and unfair, he accepted them and he pressed through them. Paul put his faith in God whom he knew To always be just and good. And this act of surrender, I love the way he put that. This act of surrender, this surrendering ourselves to the truth of the word of God, that he is always good and that he is always just, in spite of the injustice and unfairness that goes on against us, God is still good and God is just. And he said, according, uh, and this act of surrender... Helped him to be able to deal with the injustices he experienced. So here's what that tells me tonight. We just have to come to the place in our life where we are resigned to that truth. God is good. And God is faithful. And that he will never act in a way toward us that is inconsistent with his character Or what is the best for us? Now believe me. Believe me. I don't see how some of the things that we've gone through or that you have gone through or are going through could possibly be what's best. I I don't see that. But I don't see why a sinless Jesus would die for a sinful me. I don't get that either. But I put all of my faith and trust in the fact that he did. And it's like you've heard me say so many other times before. We can't pick and choose which parts of the Bible we're going to put our faith in. We either put our faith in all of it or none of it how many times you've heard me say this, all my eggs are in the Jesus basket I don't have an egg in another basket anywhere, of any kind so if the bottom falls out of this Jesus basket thing, I'm in trouble but I think I'm in good hands I think I'm good in light of the point that God is good and faithful in spite of life's unfairness came across this devotion, it's from the little devotional some of you may have it or may have read it in the past, Our Daily Bread. This was uh, from December the 2nd, 2006. So many situations in life shout, not fair. I observe Christian couples who struggle to have babies while others are blessed with children and then abuse them. I look at families whose children are all alive and well while I go through life without one of mine. I see friends who long to serve God but can't because of health issues. It's then that I must go back to a basic truth. We are not the arbiters of fairness. God is. Can I read that again? We are not the arbiters of fairness. God is. And he knows far more than we do about his plans and his purposes. The question isn't about fairness. In the end, it's about trust in a faithful God who knows what he's doing. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways or judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is He. Deuteronomy 32.4 And then it says this, Life will never look fair. But when we trust God, we always know that He is faithful. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, Jesus makes this promise, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So here's what that means tonight. It means that he's ever near us, even in times of injustice. So we can rest assured tonight, he's going to do his part. Amen? Amen. God's going to do his part. God's going to do everything that he said he would do in his word. The question tonight is will we do our part? Well, Pastor, what's our part? Our part is to rest our faith in him. Because he's always good. And always faithful. Now, let me uh, share a few things with you tonight about what to do when you're treated unfairly. What, What do we do when life's just not fair, when it's just not just? Based on what we read of Paul in these latter chapters of Acts and from what we read in what are normally referred to as his prison epistles or his, the letters that he wrote from prison, um, that would be the, the book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, the little book of Philemon. They were all written from Rome. What we read here at the latter part of Acts and what we read in those books here are some things that we can learn from Paul when it comes to dealing with unfairness. And here's the first one. Maintain your integrity. Paul maintained. He kept his integrity. As I mentioned earlier, I've mentioned a couple of times already, Felix, Governor Felix, kept Paul in prison. He could have released him, but he kept him in prison for two more years, hoping to get something from him. Well, if I can keep him here and make life miserable enough for him, then he's going to offer me some money. He's going to offer me something to let him out of here, so I'm just going to wait it out. But here's what we find. Paul's actions were consistent with what he wrote to the churches at Colossae, what he wrote to the church at Ephesus, And what he wrote to the church of Philippi. And here's a sample of what he wrote to the Colossians he wrote this that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. And to the church at Ephesus he wrote this I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. I think that's interesting. He didn't say, I therefore, the prisoner of Rome, the prisoner of Caesar he recognized why he was in prison at Rome. It was of the Lord. And he said, I am the prisoner of the Lord. And thus such, he said, I beseech you, I beg you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. In Ephesians 4.1. And in, in Philippians, only let your conversation, your, your manner of life, the way you live, he said, let it be, as it becometh the gospel of Christ. So here's how Paul maintained his integrity through all of the injustices and all of the unfairness that that he had to endure. Here's how he maintained his integrity. He practiced what he preached. He walked worthy of the Lord. He lived his life in a way that was representative of the God that he loved and the Christ that he served. So when we find ourselves in a a situation in life that just doesn't seem fair and, and doesn't seem just and doesn't seem right, God, help us to maintain our integrity and live our life, even in those difficult times, in a way that represents Jesus Christ well. Secondly, Paul learned to be content. I'll not belabor this point, Brother Tyler did an excellent job Sunday night, but I will rehearse the verses that he used, because here's what we need to understand, and again, Pastor Tyler brought this out Sunday night, Paul's writing this from a prison cell. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, I mean, if you've ever been in prison, but In another hat that I wear on occasion, I put a few folks there, and I I don't like that part of it. I sure wouldn't like the behind bars part of it. And so Paul is, and and by the way, the, the prison that Paul was in is not like the Hilton that some of these guys get to stay in nowadays. Okay, let's just understand that. But yet, here's what Paul wrote from prison. Not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Paul could only write that and be honest in writing it. Because he had learned, or maybe we should say because he was learning to trust in God. I think Paul would even probably tell us, I I, I never really got where I wanted to be in in that area of my life. But I was learning to trust in God, though life wasn't always fair. Because I knew this, God was always good. And God was always faithful. And then here's the third thing. Pray a lot. <laughs> when you find yourself in a situation that is unjust and unfair, pray a lot. Now, I could take the next 10, 15 minutes, and we could go through those prison epistles of Paul. And I could point out a number of scriptures, and we can read them all, where Paul prayed for these churches, and sometimes he even mentioned by name some specific people in those churches that he was praying for. We're not going to do that, but if you want to write these down, here's here's three of them. I think, did I put them on there, Tammy? Did I not? Okay. Uh, Write these down. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we're talking about the fact that Paul prayed a lot. Philippians 1 3 and 4, uh, verses 3 and 4. Colossians chapter 1 verse 3. Verse, uh, verse 4 Philemon. There's only one chapter there. Philemon 4. Now, church, here's the interesting thing about all the times that Paul talked about prayer. Now, again, stay with me. I, I know I'm belaboring this point, but I want you to understand this. He was writing from prison, and he wasn't there because he was guilty of anything other than loving Jesus Christ and preaching the gospel. That's why he was there. He had not broken any law. He would not hurt anybody. He had not damaged anything. Not taken anybody's life. And you hear all the time, well, I'm, I'm innocent. Well, Paul really was. We read it. They had nothing against him. But here's what's interesting, in all of these times that Paul prayed, he never one time asked for people to pray for his release or for justice or fairness. Not one time. Paul never said, and by the way, would you pray that I'd get out of this rat dump? Would you pray that I would get out of jail? Would you pray that I would get out of prison? Would you pray that somebody would bring some sense to these people, that they would be fair and that they would be just? In all of his prison praying, he never asked to be released or to be treated fairly or to be treated justly. Now, there was one time when he did pray for himself. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, and if you remember what's there in Ephesians chapter 6, he's talking about the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, sword of spirit, shield of faith, belt of truth, shoes of the gospel of peace, that, praying on the armor of God. And then he comes down to the verses after that, and he asks for something specific. But again, he doesn't ask, he doesn't pray for fairness, he doesn't pray for justice, he doesn't pray for retribution for those who had wronged him. God, would you kill them? Those imprecatory prayers of David smashed their teeth you know, over there in Psalms. He didn't pray any of that. God, would you make all their babies be born naked? Some of you will get that. He didn't pray any of that, no retribution on those who had treated him unjustly or unfairly. Do you know what he prayed for? Check this out. He said, And pray for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. (laughs) How incredible is that? What should we do when facing injustice in the world? We should pray. And pray a lot. And following the example of Paul, here's what we should pray. God, help me to be a good witness through all of this. God, help me to live in a way that represents Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. God, I'm not asking you to hurt anybody. I'm not asking you to make anything right. Here's what I'm asking you. Help me to be a witness. Now, am I the only one here tonight that thinks that's pretty convicting? Paul was a man like us. He had his weaknesses. He had his faults. He tells us in Romans chapter 7, he struggled with sin. So he wasn't perfect. He wasn't kind of superman. Yet, through all of the unfairness and all of the injustice, he said, God, just help me to be a good witness. And then understand this. Paul refused to pity himself. You read the prison epistles, and you'll find that no woe is me statements in any of Paul's prison epistles. Not one. Paul would have never gotten on Facebook told the world about how unfair the system is treating us you know those posts where everybody's begging for attention it's like just zip it Paul would have never done that oh woe is me life is hard this isn't fair this is unjust not at all as we've seen through Pastor Tyler's excellent excellent exposition Of the book of Philippians, Paul displayed nothing but a joy filled, positive, uplifting, victorious spirit. As a matter of fact, the word joy or some form of the word joy or the word rejoice or some form of the word rejoice is found 17 times in the book of Philippians, just four chapters. In those four chapters, seventeen times. And not once does he complain about anything. The food, the lodging, the heat, the cold. Didn't complain about any of that. That's why he could write to the Philippian Christians and say, Do all things without murmurings. Hey, folks, if I can be here and put up with this garbage without griping and complaining then you can go through your life without griping and complaining about the little petty things that everybody gripes and complains about. And then, let me, let me share this with you. The final thing Paul did is he did what he could, and he left the rest to God. He did what he could, and he left the rest to God. I'm not trying to repreach the book of Philippians. Pastor Tyler's done an excellent job of that, as I've already said. But I do want to refer back to Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 through 14. Paul said, "But I would, ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me, the unfair, unjust things that have happened unto me, have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. And in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So here's Paul. He's in prison in Rome. And what does he do? He does what he can, and he, he leaves the rest of it up to God. And what could he do in prison? He could share the gospel with everyone that he came in contact with, including those guards that he was chained to. And you know why we know that he did that? Because some of those guards got saved and carried the gospel into the palace. So Paul said, Hey, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to make good, and I'm going to share the gospel. And I'm going to see people saved. Not just here, but it's going to go everywhere. That's awesome. So rather than wasting our time posting junk on Facebook and moaning and whining and crying and having these pity parties for ourselves, let's just get busy, do what we can, and leave the rest up to God. I close, I want to share something with you that a pastor told a person who had given years of service to her local church and had suddenly been removed from her position. It doesn't say why, but she was removed from her position. The pastor said the hurt was obvious and deep as she shared with him how unfairly she felt she had been treated. And he said, this is what I did. I... I shared advice with her, or he said that the advice that he gave her was the same advice that he gives himself when he feels another has done him wrong. And here's what he said. What happens in me is more important than what happens to me. There are many things which happen to us in life that we do not like. But we're really powerless most of the time. To change our external circumstances. We cannot rearrange someone else's behavior toward us. Nor can we undo moments which have brought us harm. Our best recourse is to ask the Lord to change our inner life. Now did you get that that first phrase? What happens in me is more important than what happens to me. If my wife has said it once, she has said it a million times to our kids, every one of them, DJ, Tyler, Tiffany. I've heard her say it many, many, many times. You cannot control what people say to you or do to you, but you can control how you respond. That's Mama Katie right there. That's her preaching. And she has said it many, many times to our kids. And church, the same holds true for us. We can't control what life throws at us. You go to work tomorrow and, and, and you get passed over for a promotion or you get chewed out for something that somebody else was supposed to do and they didn't do and they blame it on you. And it's not fair and it's, you can't control that. You can't do a thing about that. But here's what you can do. Maintain your integrity. Learn to be content. Pray a lot. Refuse to pity yourself. And do what you can. And leave the rest to God. That's what Paul did. Now the next couple of chapters in Acts are... Uh, chapters i'm really excited about the next chapter chapter 26 is is Paul's appearance before Felix and uh, we're going to talk in our next time together we're going to talk about how to share your testimony how to how to tell others your story because that's exactly what Paul does as he gets brought in before Felix he just he just shares his story and in sharing his story preaches incredible, an incredible gospel message. And so we're going to talk about some practical ways um, that we can share our testimony. And then we get to chapter 27, and then Paul's on the ship, and he's sailing to Rome. And uh, they get into this uh, the big tempest, and everybody thinks they're going to die, and the boat breaks up, and uh, just some incredible life lessons there for us. And and then we'll be cruising toward the end of the chapter. So anyway, all God's people said, amen.